great song and a great reminder of, of how it's supposed to be, that we're not alone. But whether or not you feel alone is not about whether you have the facts right. It's about whether or not you feel the Lord's presence in that place of your aloneness. I'm led to a passage of Scripture this morning. And the bigger subject is being filled with the Spirit, what it means to be filled with the Spirit and the, the blessings of, of that great truth. But One of the pinpoint aspects of power in being filled with the Spirit is tied to this matter of feeling alone. Be a single mom and those little eyes looking back up at you and you're it as far as that little one would know and be concerned. You can be in business, you can have your own business, or you can have a segment of a business, and a lot of people around you. The only problem is all of those people are needing something from you, and the aloneness of responsibility, the aloneness of a place of responsibility. Sometimes folks will get to thinking, until they've tasted of it very much. I, I just would like to lead. I just want to be a leader. I just want to be a leader. Well, the, the check on that is if you're a leader, if you've got somebody following you, you know, nobody's following you, you're not leading anything. And then somebody sticks you in a place of leadership and the loneliness of leadership. If if the filling of the Spirit in a practical sense does not help us with the sense of the presence of Jesus in the places of our loneliness, then it is nothing more than just a good Bible theory, and it has no practical benefit. But I want to submit to you this morning, or encourage you to open your heart, especially if you find yourself in a swamp of loneliness. And again, you, you can have people all around you. You can have planes flying overhead and cars honking going by you, but still be consumed with the sense of being alone. I want to encourage you that there is a word from the Lord. There is a word from the Lord for the lonely. I want you to find, if you would, the book of 2 Timothy. Now, let me tell you about 2 Timothy. Most Bible scholars, experts, you might say, on the history of the Scripture would agree that the last letter 
that the Apostle Paul wrote before he was martyred was 2 Timothy. The last things that the writer of two-thirds of most of the New Testaments that lay in your lap this morning, the last letter, the last words, are to be found in 2 Timothy. Now, I want you to follow along as I, as I work our way through some of these verses, starting in verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. We're not sure how, how old Paul is. We're not sure how long it's been since his encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road and this writing from a prison cell years later. Make every effort to come to me soon, he writes to Timothy. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for service. But Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Now, if you want to draw a circle around statement that would describe Paul's financial statement, Paul's total wealth, Paul's taxable income, you draw a circle around that verse 13. You bring the cloak and the books and especially the parchments. That was it. He had no property. He had no oil production. He had no money in jumbo funds. He didn't have a house. Can I attempt to make this perfectly clear? When we're speaking of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the presence of the living Jesus, so that his heart and his power and his love and his life is working in us and flowing out from us, can I make it perfectly clear that that is not intended in any stretch of the imagination to be a formula for financial success? To be filled with the Spirit is not the same as the accumulation of great earthly wealth. But we hear an awful lot of emphasis placed upon the Christians who, who, who really are powerful in the Spirit, who really have the anointing of God upon their lives. 
Christians who are really movers and shakers in a community are the ones who have all sorts of measurable wealth. I submit to the gallery this morning that if you hold that standard up before the key players in your Bible, in your New Testament, Paul wouldn't make the traveling squad. Luke wouldn't either. Timothy wouldn't make it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, wouldn't make it. And Jesus himself wouldn't make it. There has to be more to what it means to be filled with the spirit of King Jesus than that it's just one more little way to get yourself rich in this life. Paul had a coat, he had a few books, and he had some skins rolled together that were written on called parchments. That was it. And yet, he could say, let me tell you about the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus in you. Let me tell you what that's going to feel like. No matter where you are, no matter what palace you live in, or what prison you're confined to, the evidence of the presence of the Spirit of Jesus at work in your heart is love that nobody can take away. Joy that isn't determined by the lateral. It's only determined by the vertical. The joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with how much money you have in your bank account. Has nothing to do with what part of town you live in or don't live in. Has nothing to do with the family pedigree in terms of wealth and prominence. But it has everything to do with freedom in your soul, joy in your heart, and a sense of knowing that you are irreversibly and unconditionally loved by the most powerful and wonderful person in all of the universe. And that will never change. And it isn't tied to or measured by your bank account or what you own or what you don't own or what you drive or what you wear or any of that stuff that Paul will say. It's all going to pass away anyway. If you can see it, you can lose it. But if you can't see it, you can keep it. So what is the unseen? What is the unseen that the Lord offers to his people? And that is his very own presence. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your presence. Now that's Paul. So here, here's, here's his financial statement. There's not a banker in San Antonio that loaned this man a dime. He had nothing to back a loan, nothing. And yet he is, he is one we recognize 
as an authority on what God's heart is and how God would speak and deal to men and women. So we, we, we trust him on all things that the Spirit gave him to write down. We just need to keep in mind the package that the Lord chose to write these messages through. Bring the coat. Bring the books. Especially the parchments. And he goes on to say, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Now here's one more important point. Being filled with the Spirit, number one, or one of the things that's important, it doesn't guarantee you financial wealth. But it also doesn't guarantee you that everybody who has been mad at you is all of a sudden going to start playing nice with you. That everybody who's perpetrated something against you, come up with a scheme to hurt you, that to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that all of a sudden they're going to like you, they're going to be nice, that you won't have any of their attitude to have to deal with anymore. Hear it? Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is the power to set you free from the attitudes of people who are out to hurt you or who have schemed against you. Paul, Paul's just making note. These folks have abandoned me. These folks have gone off to other assignments. And here's this one guy, Alexander the coppersmith, and he was out to do me great harm but in the middle of all of that, in the middle of folks leaving me, in the middle of this man still being hurtful toward me, something else, and he's going to get to his main point here in just a second, that something far more important to me than any of those things I've listed. And it is that even though it seemed like everybody left me and Alexander's still plotting against me, the Lord stood with me. You find that in verse 16. He will say, he will say about Alexander in verse 15, be on guard, Timothy, against him, against Alexander yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth and the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And look at verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And folks, the last couple of phrases, in the last couple of phrases that the Apostle Paul was ever given to write by the Spirit to the church is the statement, the Lord 
be with your spirit. The Lord be with your spirit. The Lord fill you with his spirit. The Lord fill you. Here is the point. This matter of being filled with the spirit and personally understanding what that means for you and personally appropriating it is not a luxury. It's not intended to be for just, just a few super saints somewhere. It, it is intended to be understood as something that is absolutely essential. Well, what is it that the filling of the Spirit means primarily? It means that there is, we have a sense that the Lord is in us. It isn't, it, isn't just, it isn't just a truth. It isn't just a teaching. It isn't something that was written down in Scripture. It is a practical, experienced, and may I use the word felt reality inside of you. May the Lord, may the Lord be with your spirit. May you know and sense the presence of the Lord at work and alive in your spirit. Body, soul, and spirit we are. The place of the Spirit's habitation inside us is going to be that, that, that place of our spirits. The Lord, fill your spirit. The Lord, fill you up with his spirit. That, that prominence, and you're going to give me a microphone. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You're going to turn this one off, David. Okay. You know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, but we won't have to have any sound or technical aspects and, and uh, this crackling and so forth that goes on. I just hope I don't get fired up and forget I got a microphone in my hand and throw it back at that. So y'all have to keep an eye on that. But the Lord stood with me. And the Lord be with your spirit. It isn't, it isn't a luxury it's a necessity for the church. Now you understand that when Paul said this, the Lord be with your spirit, he's not, he's not able to hand out any paper with writing on the paper. He had, he had no books. The New Testament would not be printed for 1,500 years. When Gutenberg printed the first Bible 1,500 years later, he knew, Paul knew, that the Christians would be tested, that there would be, there would be a season of great persecution coming to the early church, and that the only way the church would be able to survive, endure, and conquer in the end would be if they, not just they knew in their brain that the Lord was with them, but that they felt in their hearts His presence. That's the key. That's the key. The power of the Spirit revealing the felt sense of the nearness, the presence of Jesus right where you are, right in the middle of whatever may cause you to feel alone and neglected or rejected. Paul is saying, my prayer for you is, the Lord be with your spirit. That's not theoretical. It, he intended it to mean to be experiential. I'm praying you'll know the Lord's 
with you, that you will sense his presence. If I, if I was to say, if I was to say to you, I just want to come be with you, and I just sent you a text. Or maybe I called you on the phone, left you a voicemail. Or maybe sent you an email, just telling I, I sure enjoy being with you. I sure wish I could be with you. As if the text or the email or the voicemail was going to be a substitute for the person's presence. That, that's, that's why this whole matter, and I pray that as the church we'll, we'll embrace this. The Bible is important. The written words on pages are important, but it's never intended to be a substitute for the felt presence of the author. Don't settle for less. Paul would say, you're going to need the Lord. You're going to need His strength. You're going to need His power. You're going to need His knowledge. The Lord be with you. Spirit. Right, that, that ties back into what he has said earlier. At my first defense, no one supported me. Literally, no one stood publicly with me. At my first defense, first meaning first in the order one, two, three consecutively, order of sequence, but it also means order of, of prominence, of importance. He had appealed to Caesar, as a Roman citizen were able to do. He felt that he was wrongly charged, but, but he also knew that his assignment was to declare the message of, of Jesus far and wide, as far as he could go to the Gentiles, to the most, the most lofty positions of political and military influence, governmental influence, and that would be Rome, the imperial city of Rome. And that was always his dream, always his ambition to get to Rome to declare the message of Jesus. And so as he appealed to Caesar, that process was set in motion and he was given an opportunity to give an answer. At, this word, at my first defense, at this, yes, maybe first in the sequence, but yes, in the sense of great prominence, great importance, great, great importance, standing before Roman authorities, maybe even Caesar himself, to give an answer. The word defense also means to give an answer, to respond to the charges, <laughs> for me to tell my story, to, to, to give the truth according to me. At my first defense, nobody was willing publicly to go on record even as a character witness for me, if that was called for. Nobody was there. I was alone in a human sense. Now, there may be some folks listening, and I feel like there are. You may be in this house, or you may be scattered who knows where, the far corners of the world or some, some apartment in some major city in this nation, but you understand, you know what it feels like to feel that kind of alone. When people who could stand up for you won't stand up for you. And it's not a lightweight deal. It's a significant and it's a heavyweight. It's a, it's a serious situation that you're in. That's Paul. At my first defense, no one stood with me. But all deserted me. All deserted me. 
Now, that can be a strong word, but let me tell you, here's something else about what it means to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. You're not having to play word games. You're not having to play card games. You're not having to stick your head in the sand and deny reality. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The thing about being filled with the Spirit is you're going to see the truth. The truth about people. The truth about situations. Paul just called it what it was. They deserted me. They walked out. They deserted me. Instead of trying to nice it up, he just called it what it was. But as he was saying that, he wasn't saying it in such a way that, that you could tell he was mad and, 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 and um, despising them because of what they had done. He, his, he follows it up by saying, and may it not be counted to their charge. Lord, don't let it be held against them. I forgive them. They did what they did. Some of them were my friends. They were my fellow laborers. But when it came time... For them to show up, they didn't show up, and I call it that. They deserted me, but I forgive them. I release them. You can't go on to the next line that he gives in the Scripture unless that one has been dealt with. Lord, I give them back to you. I, I forgive them. I release them. But the truth is, I look to my left and there wasn't anybody. I looked in front of me and there wasn't anybody and I looked to my right and there wasn't a soul standing there that would say a nice word about me. But then he says, but the Lord stood with me. Now folks, this is, this is real important. We got to get this straight. Being filled with the Spirit, having the life of Jesus in charge and flowing through us, does not mean that everybody who has been mad at you all of a sudden vaporizes and they're gone. The Lord stood with me where? In my trial. Before my accusers. He stood with me where I was at that season in my life facing what I was facing. And Paul will go on to say, it was like the lion's mouth. It was like the enemy with his fangs, with his teeth coming after me. I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Why? Because the Lord was with me in the face of the lion's mouth. The Lord was there. Now, this is very important. This is when, when people of importance, when people with leveraging ability are coming against you or coming against us, we can end up thinking unless there is the felt sense of the Lord's presence with us that somehow we are to blame. Somehow it is our fault. Somehow we are in trouble and God is on their side because they're so big and they're so loud and they've been there so long that God is on their side and, and I'm, I'm here by myself. That'll last. That will last. Those conclusions will last as long as there is no sense of the felt presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords standing right next to you. There has to be a bigger presence 
to defeat the strong, loud-mouthed, earthly-powered leveraging forces that are arrayed against you. And the fact that the Lord was present and he felt the Lord's presence did not mean that they shut up or that they quit what they were doing or that all of a sudden it just all went away. He says, it was by the power of the Lord that I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. You got a lion looking at you? You got a lion showing his teeth at you? You talk about lonely. And when folks who could stand up won't stand up, they've got other places to be, other things to do. For whatever reason, they're not there, and it's nobody but you. Then what? Then it's the time to pray that second of two prayers that changes everything. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. What is that saying? That's saying, Lord, fill me with the sense of your presence here and in me. I need to feel your presence. I need to sense your presence, Lord. This other is draining me. This other is terrifying me. I will adopt their conclusions about who I am and what the outcome is going to be. Lord, unless you fill me. The only way I'll be able to stand is if I know you're standing here too. Amen. Amen. So, so some, of this, some of this teaching that, you know, well, the Lord just come in, you just rebuke every devil and you claim every promise and you just sing your way happily along and the demons are just going to fall off and they're gonna, you're going to walk on. Where in the world do you get that kind of theology, that kind of teaching? Jesus didn't cast out every demon and in Israel in those days. There was, there were, there were when, when the enemy got in the way of the kingdom coming and the Lord showing his power, he rebuked the demons and the demons fled. But Paul said, I sought the Lord three times to get this thorn in the flesh. This thing that's harassing me, that's, that's, and many believe it was, a, it was a physical kind of infirmity. I've asked the Lord three different times in extended prayer sessions to be healed or whatever this is. And the Lord chose not to do it. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know what? Everybody's going to be healed all the time immediately quick. It's just a lack of faith. Well, then put Paul in that wad that he didn't have enough faith. It wasn't that. It was that the Lord had a higher purpose. He had a greater plan. Paul, I want you to see. Here's what I want to show you. By the contrast of your weakness, that will be the showing of my strength. In your weakness, I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to show you that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace to give you the ability to keep trusting me, to keep loving me, to keep praising me, to keep knowing that heaven is permanent, that everything down here is just temporary. My grace will be sufficient for you. I'm going to show you that when you're weak, I'm strong. When you're weak, I'm strong. When you're weak, Paul, I'm strong. So Paul just said, I quit praying about that one. I quit asking him to take it because whatever it is, I want to know him more. I want to know him better. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. If the context for that is that I'm 
physically sick or materially weak, then so be it. Then so be it. But the Lord stood with me. Not to deliver him from every single thing that was going on, but to stand with him in the middle of the process. Instead of tying Jesus always to the result, welcome him into the process. That the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, David said in Psalm 37. The steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. A woman or person are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in their way. The Lord delights in the steps that we're taking. The steps of the man are ordered by the Lord. Ordered by the Lord. That means he sets them in motion. And as the Lord looks down on the steps that he ordered and the man is walking through them, then the Lord is delighted in that. And then it includes this. Paul, he, uh, David goes on to say, And if he falls, if he slips, if he falls, pursuing the steps that the Lord has given him to take, he will not be destroyed, he will not utterly be lost, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. A hand comes out of heaven, not my hand going up, but a hand comes out of heaven to grab me, to snatch me, to hold me, to pull me to him. The Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. I love that. I love that. It wasn't that the Lord did a flyby. The Lord came past my drive through window. Lord stood with me, made his presence permanent with me. The Lord stood with me. Who is the Lord? He is the one who has been given the name, Jesus. Paul would write in Philippians 2, that is above every other name, <laughs> that at the name of Jesus every tongue will confess of those who are in heaven and under the, earth, the, the the angels, the demons, the devil himself. Paul understood that's who this Lord, who Jesus the Lord was, that the one who had all authority over the ones who were holding him in accusation and potential punishment and even death, that the Lord who stood with them was greater than the ones who were coming at him. Folks, listen, you got to understand, we got to know that. Or we'll chicken out, we'll run, we'll give up, we'll stay in the same place of just a fortress mentality instead of a conqueror's mentality. When the Lord says go, you go because he's the Lord. But if you don't hear the Lord say go, we just keep backing up and cowering and putting up with what's being said about us and said against us. The Lord stood with me. And watch this. And he strengthened me. He's you know when you're weak? You know when you don't have strength? And then you know when you have strength to get up and go again. It was a felt, measurable thing for Paul. I felt fresh strength. It wasn't just a mental thing. It wasn't just a theory. It wasn't just, oh, there's a, here's a verse about strength. Here's a verse about walking again in new power. It wasn't about just the words and the verses. It was the reality of the presence of the felt 
Jesus alive at work in his heart. I'm going to ask you, you're sitting there and you're hearing this, but you're in a place of aloneness. The battle is arrayed against you. As you hear me going over this, would you just begin to pray? Not waiting for anybody to change, anything to quit, for the news to be that, that everybody's nice now and all the problems are solved. Don't wait for that because that may never happen on their end. But while you hear this, while you hear this, begin to pray it. As you read, as you listen to what God did for Paul, you put yourself right in the middle of that. Don't pass it off. Don't wait. Do it now. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. With what? With the sense of your presence. Listen, when you know he's present, you know you're not going down. When you feel his presence, you know the enemy is not going to win. He may have some temporary setbacks against what you would wish, but he's going down. You will make it through. When Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side, he knew there was a storm coming. But he said, you go to the other side. That was his promise. And he would fulfill it. Comes walking to them on the water. Peter gets out of the boat. Trying, nearly drowns, nearly sinks. They get back in the boat. They get to the other side. It will happen for your life the way the Lord intends for it to be. He will finish what he started in you. The Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. He wasn't needing to strengthen King David. He wasn't needing to strengthen Isaiah at this point or anybody of the early church back in Jerusalem. Paul understood the kind of strength that he knew he needed. The personal, specific the creator God who knows how you're wired and know how you think and know what the default positions are and know how the words that you hear have affected you. He knows how to strengthen you. 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 The Lord stood with me. He didn't have anybody to call to pray for him. He couldn't go online and listen to some Music, all he had, and it was more than enough, was the sense of the Lord's presence standing with him where he was. To say he stood with me meant that the Lord was taking Saul's side, Paul's side, and he understood it. That the Lord wasn't there as, as judge and jury, nay, but he had already decided. The Lord had already decided. Paul is my chosen. Paul has been on mission for me. Paul is in trouble because he stood for me. I stand with him. So devil, do what you've got to do. But I'm standing with my child. I'm standing. Somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear that. That the Lord is saying to you, I'm standing with my child.
I'm standing with my child. All right, so he, he says, he strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And then he goes on to say, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. What, what is this proclamation might be fully accomplished? If you look at, at Acts 26, Acts 26, there is a, there's an accounting, Luke writes it down, there's, a, there's an accounting of, of Paul's testimony before Agrippa, one of the rulers in Israel, prior to his making his appeal to Caesar, which would take him to Rome. But Paul recounts in the trial here his meeting with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And it's in Acts chapter 26 and, and in verse 14, Paul is saying, when all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but to the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And then Paul concludes, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. What was at risk here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 was the completion of the heavenly vision that God had for his servant Paul. Knowing that, if Paul were left totally alone, if there were no felt sense of the Savior's approval, the Savior's presence, and the enabling of the Savior's love, then the fulfilling ultimately on the big scale of Paul to deliver the gospel to the farthest reaches of the Gentile nations, the imperial city of Rome, it may never have happened. So because it was important to the Lord that the dream, that the dream that he had given to Saul, Paul, all those years before be fulfilled, the Lord who was the author of the dream made his own presence real. He came to Paul made Paul know that he was there. And some way or another, as a result of that sense of the presence of the Lord, Paul was strengthened to be able to finish the vision, complete the dream that God had given to him a long time ago. Now here, here's a corollary to that. You can't count on even the people who love you and, and may have a sense of what God has called you to be and to do. You can't always count on them 
to be able to be strong enough in their encouragement of your God-given dream for you to be able to stay true to the task. That's why Paul will say later, he wraps it all up, that one last line, the Lord be with your spirit. The sense of the Lord's presence will be the one who will continue to strengthen and keep alive a dream that God may have placed in your heart 40 years ago or 50 years ago or five months ago. The Lord strengthened and enabled me to finish that which he had called me to do. You see, folks, and I speak out of my own experience, (laughs) wonderful people, wonderful loving people, but you can't necessarily count on people to see what you've seen that the Lord has shown you. And you try to explain to them what it is and what God's called you to do, and they bob their heads and they smile back at you and they say, I'll be praying for you. And they, you, you can tell you about 50% there with them. Maybe, maybe 75% with a few. But they still don't know exactly what it is the Lord has burned in your heart. Only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. That's why it is important that the sense of his felt presence, that we don't treat it as a luxury. We treat it as an essential. Lord, I'm... And the apostles in Acts 4, that we're losing the boldness. Lord, since we're losing the boldness, would you fill us with your spirit so that, that the boldness to proclaim your word will return again? They didn't wait six months into it. They didn't wait two years. As soon as they felt that human side of them beginning to take over, they began to cry out, Lord, fill us, 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 Lord, fill us. You and I can do no better. And especially in these things that are the, of the greatest consequence, that, that require the deepest surgery, that, that, that have to do with family line curses being broken and, 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 and attitudes and, and wounds that have resulted in attitudes of failure and, and defeat and on and on they go. When it's, when it's something that the enemy has been working on and has been pleased with for years in you or maybe those that affect you. There'll only be deliverance. There'll only be a breakthrough when there is the sense of the Lord's presence giving you the strength to keep standing and to keep believing and to keep going on. That was it with Paul. That was it with Paul. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Do you see how that ties into what David said in Psalm 16 that was quoted by Peter in the, on, on the day of Pentecost? And we talked about it last week. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. For he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices because of the sense of the presence of the Lord at hand with him. My brothers and my sisters, this isn't to be just for a select few. This isn't a luxury item. This is a necessity. If we're going to stay on the course with the dream that the Lord's given us, if we're not going to give in to 
those who are arrayed in opposition against us to try to discourage and back us off and defeat us, then we're going to need to pray and sense just as Paul prayed and sensed. Lord, fill me with the sense of your presence here. David knew it. That's why David was strong. That's why David could stand before Goliath. That's why David could do what David would do. That's why Paul didn't quit the sense of the Lord's presence. Now, folks, listen. Everything will remain absolutely the same in the morning. It'll just be another Monday. Another Monday with the same faces, with the same sounds, maybe a few little tweaks of difference, but the same issues. But we'll leave these doors and we'll go back into the same old, same old if we choose to let it stay that way. Or we can take this personally and we can take this seriously. Lord, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Lord, fill me. Fill me with a sense of your presence. Some folks say, you know, and, and we, 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 we speak this curse over our lives with these words. Well, that's just the way I am. That's the way I am. That's just the way I've always been. I got it from my mother, got it from my daddy, got it from whatever. It's just the way I am. You're speaking a curse over your life when you say that. Stop that. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Believe it or not believe it, but that is the truth that we have access to. The old things have passed away. New things have come. What is the new thing? By the power of the Spirit of Jesus filling me, there is love when there's no reason to love. There is joy when there's nothing to be happy about. There's peace when the whole world is on fire. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the evidences. Those are what Paul would say. That is the fruit of the Spirit in the believer. There's no personality type excluded. There's no set of prior wounds and injuries or, or um, legacies passed down genetically that are excluded. This is available to anybody who knows Jesus and who has the heart to consistently pray, Lord, I don't want to be filled with my stuff. I don't want to be ruled by myself anymore. I want you to fill me. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Every time that, that, that attitude shows up, every time that knee-jerk default position goes off, that's exactly the time to be praying, Lord, fill me. Fill me. That's me. I need you. That's me. That's death. That's the same path of destruction and loneliness and hopelessness. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. It is by means of the contrasts that he teaches many of his greatest truths.
The contrast being what I don't have to prove what he does have to give. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about something five years out. I'm talking about today. What are you feeling today that you could wish that you were different? Maybe there were circumstances we could wish would change, but what if those things don't change? What if it's about our attitude toward those change, things that the Lord can change? He's got it. He'll fix it in His time and in His way. But more important than that being fixed is you and me knowing how much He loves us. And that He doesn't just love us when those things get fixed. He loves us and He wants to come near and He wants us to know His presence right now, today, with nothing having changed at all. Don't tie the love of God for you to just one kind of specific result. I'll know God loves me if this happens. That is a wrong way to do it. Lord, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit so that I'll know your love for me, so that I'll know the sense of your presence at this season in my life. And I ask you, for whatever all of that means, I, I'm... I just want you to fill me with your presence to let me know that you are here. If you know he's here, you're going to know he cares about you. Now listen, I just feel it. I feel it happening right now. You're already at Cain's getting fried chicken. You're already on the road to Las Palapas to get something, some of because, because this, this is just, okay, nice little sermonette preacher, nice little theoretical something that's good for people that are into that sort of thing. If that's your attitude, then you just get set to continue on with your life as the same old, set old, dull, boring, trapped, because you're not willing, you are not willing to risk it and pray, Lord, fill me. Make your presence known to me, Lord. The people I'm scared so spitless of that can own my life. Lord, is there freedom beyond that? Fill me. Fill me, Lord, with freedom from the fear of man. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit, with the freedom from the haunting reservoir of the failures of my past. Fill me, Lord, with the freedom that is your love for me, that is your mercy for me. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. <laughs> I had to pray this yesterday. I mean, I, I pray that often, a lot, and because I, I, I do, I just, that's, that's a knee-jerk knee default position. But I flew into the Denver airport yesterday. We had to circle around over. I try to, you know, the pilots don't know I'm helping them, but I really am helping them. 
You know, they, they don't often call on me to come up there, but I, I do hit my button a time or two when the weather gets bad that I'm available. I, I, you know, I can talk about great faith when the weather gets rough in a big airplane. I, I, just, I just, that's really when me and Jesus are just having to have a lot of talking. So we came in over the Rockies and we landed, and it was pretty bumpy, and there were some storms in the area. But they got this, this, this wind shear stuff that will come off of, the, off, off the Rockies out onto the plains going east. And, I, and I'm aware of that. I know they've been through that, and, you know, ridden in those things. And so we take off, and I'm sitting at the very back of this airplane, 737. I'm in the back seat, and nobody, but nobody behind me except the stewardesses in the bathroom. And the place is totally packed. And I'm sitting next to these two ladies, and I figured it might be a little bumpy, but I, I didn't realize what was, what was a coming, what was ahead. We took off, and, and that's a big airplane. I mean, it's a big airplane, and that, that engine's roaring, and the flaps are doing what they're supposed to do, and he turns, and he turns us in. And I mean, we hit something, and it, it just felt like that whole plane was just going to come apart. This poor lady right next to me just shrieked to high heaven. The woman next to her I thought was going to run and try to get out. But just, wah! And I, I'm, so you know what I'm doing now. I'm just telling you, this is, this is your faith-filled pastor. Shirley's seen me a bunch of times. Look over me, scared to death and turbulent, say, oh, man of great faith. You know, when I'm scared to death. But I, I, just, I, remembered, I remembered those words. I remembered that Acts 2 word. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence so that I will not be shaken. I, just, I started quoting that verse, quoting that verse. You know, and you'd think, and I'm, I've flown a lot of miles, but I never get used to turbulence on those big planes. I'd rather do it in a little plane because if the motor quit, I feel like the little plane could land on a highway or something. But these things are just a bomb coming out of the sky. And, and so, I, Lord, you know, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. I'm like, kaboom, kaboom, stuff going all over the place. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Well, the good news is, you know, we made it to San Antonio yesterday at about 6.45, landed. You know, there, there wasn't nobody, nobody was hurt bad on the flight. And, and but beyond all of that, the more I just spoke those words, the more, and in a sense, just pray, Lord, fill me. It didn't calm the turbulence, but it calmed me. See, I, I can't talk about, no, no, wait, 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 don't, don't you clap, don't you dare clap, because i got, I got to fly somewhere else in a couple weeks. I, we're going to be doing this all over again. But I'm, just, I'm wanting you, to, here's what I'm wanting you to hear. If, 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 it, if it doesn't work for the preacher, if it's, just, if it's just Bible preaching and good theory and he's sweating and he's spitting and he's saying everybody else ought to do it, but it doesn't work for me, then I don't have any business recommending it to you. And I mean that. So in the practical ways and the things that get to you, whatever that is, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. I want to be able to behold. I want to be able to sense your presence. That word to see, that, that, that has to mean something more than just the, the, just the visual, seeing with the physical eye. I was always sensing the Lord's, the Lord in my presence. That's how it's put. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence so that I would not be shaken. Amen. Now, now you you go and you go and do that. Now, please don't close Jesus up in your Bible. Please don't slam the leather binding shut on the one who wants to fill you with His presence and His power and all that goes with that. Amen. Amen.
Boy, I thank you for a safe trip home from Denver yesterday evening. I thank you, Lord, for the sense of your presence, the sense of your presence, the sense of your presence. I ask that for all of us as your people, you will teach us, you will take us into that kind of relationship with you. That when you say you want to be with us, to be with our spirits, that means way more than you sending us a text or an email. It means that you want us to know and to feel that you are here with us. If it's calm, if it's a storm, if it's a smooth walk, if it's looking into the lion's teeth, your heart is to stand with us and for us to know that you are standing with us. Fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.